This is Radio Parallax, a slightly different perspective from a slightly different view, with topics that include matters in science, technology, history, politics, current events, and whatever we damn well please. And now the host of Radio Parallax, Douglas Everett. Welcome to the program. Given that this show airs on Thursdays, it's rather inevitable that each year we would fall upon Thanksgiving. This, in fact, is our sixth Thanksgiving program. We expect that, uh, given that we're airing at 5 p.m. on a Thanksgiving afternoon, we will probably have fewer than normal listeners. But we know that uh, a large number of people uh, don't have this day off. There are people uh, in in healthcare, people that are in emergency services, people in the police department, fire department, etc., who, uh, you know, must do their job 365 days out of the year. So as we've done in past years, we would like to uh, dedicate today's program to you who don't get the day off. On uh, behalf of all of those who benefit or potentially benefit from, uh, from you people who are doing your duty today and on other holidays, we'd like to say thank you. It's also been, been a Thanksgiving tradition to air um, uh, previous programs today. And, and I think in our third segment today, we're going to air something that we didn't actually originally produce here. It's a, uh, it was actually done by Ira Glass. This is one of our all-time favorite This American Life episodes. So I think we'll, you know, use it again. One good turn deserves another. We also expect that uh, we'll hear from our old friend Will Durst before this segment's up. But let us commence the program as we'd like to do with On This Date in History, which today's case is November 22nd. On November 22nd in 1497, Portuguese explorer Vasco da Gama, in his search for a sea route to India, was the first to successfully sail around the Cape of Good Hope. On this date in 1928, French composer Maurice Ravel's Bolero was publicly performed in Paris for the first time. And by the way, Ira Glass makes very good use of Bolero, as you'll soon hear. On November 22, 1935, Pan American Airlines inaugurates the first Trans-Pacific Airmail Service, flying 100,000 pieces of mail from Alameda, California, to Manila in the Philippines. On this date in 1975, Juan Carlos was sworn in as the King of Spain. That was two days after the death of the dictator, Generalissimo Francisco Franco. Juan Carlos returned the country to democracy after Franco's long tenure of fascist leadership. And finally, on this date in 1963, U.S. President John F. Kennedy was assassinated while traveling through Dallas, Texas in a motorcade. Within hours, his alleged assassin, Lee Harvey Oswald, was taken into police custody. Two days later, Oswald was himself assassinated at the hands of a Dallas nightclub owner, Jack Ruby. For a look back at November 22nd, 1963, we'd like to refer you back to our archives at radioparallax.com, wherein we interviewed both Vincent Bugliosi, who believes there was no conspiracy to kill John Kennedy, and David Talbot, who's convinced that there was. Our official policy here at Radio Parallax on the matter is that uh, most of the conspiracy theories regarding this date in history are wrong, but not all of them. And no, we don't know who did it, but we do know that the subsequent government investigations into the matter studiously avoided following a lot of very good leads. Our quote of the day comes from journalist Edgar Watson Howe, 
who said, what people say behind your back is your standing in the community. My quip of the day comes from novelist Mickey Friedman, who once said, never give a party if you will be the most interesting person there. Our question to ponder of the day is as follows. You're walking along a lake shore and you observe that out in the water, two people are drowning, a lawyer and an IRS agent. They're both in bad shape, so it's clear you'll only have time to save one of them. So here's the question to ponder. Do you read the paper or go have lunch? We leave this one for you to decide. Actually, that's, that's of course, our joke of the day. Our statistic of the day, and this one... This one is one of the most remarkable stats of the day we have ever done in five and a half years. Last week, of course, we celebrated Veterans Day, which originally was Armistice Day to celebrate the ending of World War I on the 11th hour of the 11th day of the 11th month. And our eyebrow-raising statistic is this. Of the two million soldiers the U.S. sent to fight in Europe in World War I, only one remains alive. Frank Buckles, 106 of West Virginia. Said Buckles of outliving all of his World War I comrades, it kind of startles you. And I can recall as a boy talking to my grandfather who'd been in the army during World War I and, and, and I'm startled too. In, uh, in some also startling but much more contemporary news regarding military service, I want to inject this one right, uh, right at this point in the program because it was buried on page A14 of the Sacramento Bee. It's an article originally from the Los Angeles Times, which goes as follows. Kerry accepts challenge to prove a swift boat lie. Renewing a debate that raged through much of the 2004 presidential race, Senator John Kerry on Friday accepted Texas oil man T. Boone Pickens' offer to pay $1 million to anyone who can disprove allegations by veterans who disparaged Kerry's Vietnam War record. Kerry and his top aides said that failing to respond more quickly and aggressively to the swift boat veterans for truth had been a mistake, and they attributed the Democrats' narrow loss to President Bush in part to the attacks. Kerry said last week he would no longer let such challenges go unanswered. Well, that's that's a pretty shrewd political move. It's now November of 2007. Yes, I think, I think, well, Better late than never. I didn't realize that uh, corporate raider T. Boone Pickens had been one of the, uh, the financiers of this, uh, this uh, swift boat attack, but apparently he was. Now, the only question is, when he's proven wrong, will he actually pay the million? We say no. An honorable man would, but uh, we have no reason to assume that T. Boone Pickens is an honorable man. All right, let's cut to the good, the bad, and the ugly. According to The Week magazine, this week was a good week for Dennis Kucinich. After an international group of two dozen pilots and military officers demanded the U.S. government begin a new investigation of UFOs. The pilots said they had seen flying disks and glowing spheres themselves, and they accused the government of covering up hundreds of unexplained sightings. Dennis Kucinich, of course, raised eyebrows during one of the recent debates when he mentioned that he had seen a UFO. 
For the record, we here at Radio Parallax do not believe in flying saucers, but as to whether there are things up there that are unidentified that are quite interesting, well, uh, we think there are. Many of which are, without a doubt, uh, secret military aircraft, but uh, we'll save that discussion for another day. And uh, this week was evidently a bad week for efficient record-keeping when an official from Canada's Royal Ontario Museum, one who was seeking the rare skeleton of an 80-foot Barasaurus, apparently found one without the help of paleontologists. In fact, without even leaving the building. It turned out the museum had acquired just such a skeleton in 1962, but forgot about it and put it in storage. So again, better late than never. And finally, it was an ugly week this week for Hillary Clinton, whose campaign was forced to admit it had fed softball questions to audience members at a public event in Iowa. College student Muriel Gallo Chasanoff said a Clinton staffer had showed her a binder of questions that the campaign was planting in the audience. A Clinton spokeswoman said this was something that just happened on this one occasion, promising more spontaneity in the future. All right, that's the good, the bad, and the ugly. All right, here's an item from the, uh, the Only in America file. We've been sitting on this one for two months. Back in September, the Washington Post reported that the Bush administration toned down an ad campaign urging women to breastfeed their babies. This came after a concerted lobbying by a former Republican Party official hired by the infant formula industry. Originally, the Health and Human Services ads stressed the health risks to babies who are not breastfed. The revised campaign emphasizes the benefits of breastfeeding, but says nothing about the risks of not doing so. The U.S. breastfeeding rate lags behind that of most Western nations. Actually, part two of the Only in America file, uh, we have this item. Georgia Governor Sonny Perdue triggered a protest by atheists when he led a public prayer on the lawn of the state house, begging God to bestow some rain on the drought-stricken state. Said Governor Perdue, God, we need you. We need rain. We do believe in miracles. About 20 members of the Atlanta Free Thought Society staged a protest. Said freethinker Ed Buckner, my public leader is making a fool of himself and acting as though all the people in Georgia agree with this foolishness. All right, being that we're on kind of a relaxed holiday schedule on today's program, I wanted to get to a few things we've sort of been sitting on. Uh, one was something I pulled off the web, an, an, an essay by a man named Seth Stevenson, who apparently wrote about his drive down the Baja Peninsula some time ago. He apparently was somewhat appalled when he finally got to Cabo San Lucas at Baja's southernmost tip. I quote this because I thought it was a pretty decent piece of writing. Said Mr. Stevenson, writing in Slate.com, You drive the length of this marvelous peninsula, observing all along the way all sorts of breathtaking natural beauty and quaint bits of Baja culture. And then you get to Cabo, and the entire experience gets distilled into repulsive commerce. For example, in Cabo, Baja's vast deserts are reduced to an iguana 
sitting on a man's shoulder in the midst of a touristy promenade wearing a sombrero. To be clear, both the man and the iguana wear sombreros. The iguana's is much smaller. Also to be clear, the man expects that you will pay him money for the thrill of seeing an iguana in a sombrero. When I go out to a downtown restaurant, every table around me is stocked with corn-fed, well-marbled, roaring drunk Americans. For some reason, as their meals end, they all take group photographs with their waiters, throwing their beefy arms around the waiter's slight shoulders. It's not unlike the photos these same tourists pose for in the marina, with a just-caught swordfish trapped between their paws. You the man, Nestor! You the man, they shout! Nestor smiles obligingly, squints at the camera flash, and returns to clearing away their dirty dishes. I can't see why you would willingly spend a moment in this dreadful place. It's where the world's most awful people come to indulge their most awful instincts. Minutes after I arrive here, I want to leave. As soon as I can, I make the quick drive to nearby San Jose del Cabo, a genuine Mexican town with an adorable central plaza, non-kitschy restaurants, and some lovely beaches of its own. Also, it has a protected estuary. This particular estuary is the best I've ever seen. I could relax here all day, but I've got to get back to the giggling marlin in time for the three-in-one rail drinks special. I wander back past the Cabo Wabo, past the Hard Rock Cafe, even past the giggling marlin, and step into the legendary El Squid Row. It's like a thunderdome of binge drinking and sexual aggression. Two floors of vomit-encrusted plywood, margaritas served in yard-long tubes. If I drink enough, I figure I'll start to feel at home, so I'm pounding away. Around me, the place fills up with gaggles of shrieking women in halter tops and enormously paunchy men in polo shirts embroidered with the names of their cabin cruisers. Cabo has perhaps the world's highest concentration of white people in pleated shorts. Anyway, yes, he's being a bit cynical. Cabo can be a fun place, but, uh, but you know, he's, he's, he's not wrong either. All right, uh, closer to home, I saw something the other day that really surprised me. On this uh, console display that sells lotto tickets in one of my neighborhood uh, convenience stores, there was a, uh, a disclaimer that said that if you, if for you, the lottery is becoming a problem, call the following number. And I have seen people whom, to whom I think the lotto is a bit of a problem. So I was, uh, I was rather surprised to see that the, uh, the California lottery people are being responsible enough to, you know, basically put that message out there. Of course, the Sacramento Bee had an editorial a few months back which was really slamming uh, the lottery, which frankly, you know, California voters were just sold a bill of goods on. Noted the B, payout rates for lotteries stink. Lotteries often keep 50% of gambled money, while slot machines keep 5 to 25%. Roulette games keep 5%, and horse racing keeps 13 to 17%. Said the paper, the biggest lottery losers are the poor. Those in the lowest income brackets are much more likely to play the lottery heavily. And many have quipped, lotteries are attacks on people who aren't good at math. The paper sensibly advised not buying more than the occasional ticket for fun. And they quoted humorist Fran Leibowitz, who repeatedly once said, I figure you have the same chance of winning the lottery whether you play or not. 
And I think at this juncture, we should go to our, uh, our, our old friend, Will Durst. Thanks, Doug. And today, I want to talk about the most bestest holiday of them all, Thanksgiving. It's about food, family, football, three of the four Fs, not to mention four-story-tall helium balloons on rope tethers careening about into lampposts in downtown New York City. What a great day! 40-foot cartoon characters, tryptophan poisoning, lime jello with carrot shreds in it, and a chance to see the Dallas Cowboys lose? <laughs> Where's the bad? But mostly, it's not about guilting people into buying stuff they don't need with money they don't have to impress people they don't like in order to grease the wheels of capitalism with the fire hose of consumer debt like that other holiday just around the corner. This one is about gluttony, pure and simple. And the only religion that rears its ugly head is football. So let me take some time here to give thanks for those little things in life that mean so much to a middle-aged, middle-class, middle-American, a medium-height and medium-build, about whom the only rare thing is how he likes his cheeseburgers, and make that medium-rare. First off, I would like to give thanks to all the corporate marketers for delaying their Christmas shopping campaigns until early August in an obviously patriotic refusal to infringe on the sanctity of the 4th of July. Also, I want to give thanks to my wife for understanding that any decision I make before my third cup of coffee is considered non-binding. I want to give thanks for George W. Bush for including me for six long years in his No Comic Left Behind program and for the 22nd Amendment to the United States Constitution for prohibiting we, the American people, from making the same mistake more than twice. And finally, how about a big shout-out for the perfectly churned 643 double play on a crisp April afternoon with a frosty anchor steam in one hand and the New York Times in the other. You know, the older I get, the more and more I'm convinced it's the little things that make all the difference. For Parallax Radio, I remain, thankfully, Will Durst. Let's take a break. You're listening to Radio Parallax. And if Will wants to call us Parallax Radio, we're going to let him. He's America's foremost political comic. I'm Douglas Everett. Let's take a short break. Gee, but it's great to be back home. Home is where I want to be. I've been on the road so long, my friend. And if you came along, I'm 